Last week I uh, talked about, or, or re we read from the Sermon on the Mount. I want to do the same thing today as we address the issue of anxiety and, and how Jesus can respond to that. So I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anxiety, worry, we all face it. We all experience it. We get anxious when we fret over the future. We get depressed when we fret about the past. And we all know that being anxious doesn't help the hard situations that we find ourselves in. That's why I think that Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca gets this right. He says, he suffers more than is necessary who suffers before it is necessary. Or to say it another way, Worry makes you suffer twice. The word worry in English comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle. And I think that's what anxiety can feel like. That's what too much worry can feel like. Like, like you can't breathe. You're feeling strangled. The New Testament word for anxiety or worry comes from a word that means to divide to divide. And that's what worry does. It divides our attention. It divides our emotions. It divides our decisions. When we worry, our perspective is easily divided from what matters most to what matters right now. Thomas Paine writes, these are the times that try men's souls. The last two years probably feels like it has tried your soul. But Thomas Paine wrote these words as a part of his essay, The American Crisis, and he wrote it December 23rd, 1776, just two days before George Washington would give his famous day crossing across the Delaware River to defeat the Hushans. And Washington read this essay to his anxious soldiers. Recent years 
have tried our souls as well. Uh, weary healthcare workers, maybe you're one of them. They're anxious over their patients and the challenges of COVID, certainly that was a time where that anxiety was maybe at its highest. But today we also face like this cumulative toll of the effects of social media on, on our youth, sometimes on ourselves, and the way that that can raise anxiety levels. And then, of course, like all the weary like division that's in our country, um, the mistrust that's in our country. Jesus gets this. He gets it, and he went through it. He gets us. He faced challenges and suffering, even to the point of death on a cross for sin. I think that's what that commercial is trying to get at there. In his most anxious moments, though, Jesus had an uncanny ability to focus on his Father in heaven. He knew when he needed to pray, and he did it. He knew when he needed to rest, and he did it. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a little hope in these words of Matthew chapter 6 in the face of anxiety or worry. In the preceding verses, Jesus described how a person cannot serve two masters. What he's trying to say is, you know, when you attempt to do this, it leads you to places your mind doesn't need to go. Matthew 6 centers on trusting God rather than putting our focus on the worries that we have. In fact, the term worry or anxious, it's found six times in that chapter. Author Ian Campbell writes in his commentary on Matthew, to be devoted to Jesus Christ is to be freed from the anxiety and worry that so often characterize the fallen world in which we live. Jesus identifies three sources of his anxiety, our bodies, we worry over the length of our lives and the state of our health. We worry about our food, over what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. And today, it's not so much that we don't have enough food, but we worry about our diet in terms of like how much fat, how many carbohydrates, how much protein is in this. And we worry about our clothes. Today, we don't worry so much that we won't have clothes. Uh, we worry about being in fashion or out of fashion. You know, funny enough, uh, for this whole campaign for He Gets Us, uh, they sent me a free T-shirt. They would also send each of you a free T-shirt. They have different ones on their website. Just go to the He Gets Us website. They'll send you a T-shirt or a hat. Uh, you can get a sticker that you can put on a, on, a, on a cup or something or a cooler. But, yeah, go get you a shirt. There's different sayings that are on them. They're free. They'll send it to you for free and everything. All you have to do is you just have to kind of pass on the love. Like for me, I just have to pay somebody a compliment. I got a free shirt, you know. He continues, but in this kingdom of heaven, things are different. We have a father who cares for us. If the father gives such attention to the impersonal creation, will he not meet the needs of his own people? So if we prioritize his kingdom, and his righteousness, we shall lack nothing. What he's not saying and what Jesus is not saying is that your physical needs are unimportant. He's not saying that. Your physical needs are important to you. Your physical needs are important to God. But there's something more important. So our perspective 
should begin with God's providence and care, more so than just our immediate need we might have. Always remember God's provision. Always remember uh, God's care. So what scripture tries to do is it tries to flip the script on us. And a lot of these things I've condensed from a lot of the writings of the New Testament and Paul, even the book of Proverbs, like this first one, it comes straight out of a few of Paul's letters. Paul's talking all the time to Christians and he's saying, number one, refocus your thinking. Because you are what you think about. If you stew on that thing for too long, you will become that thing. If you obsess over something, you will become that. Number two, we have to emphasize gratitude. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul reminds us to give thanks, and he says, in all circumstances. This is not easy to give thanks in all all circumstances. But what it does, when we can remind ourselves to do this, what it does is it reminds you of God's grace. It reminds you of God's goodness. Even in like the smallest things in life. Number three, the scriptures teach us that we need to prioritize our rest and our reflection. Our rest and our reflection. It's one of the Ten Commandments for a reason. Because God designed a day of rest. He's reminding you that your bodies need it. Your minds need it. Your souls need it. You need time to unplug and to rest. Jesus himself frequently escaped the busy crowds for times of quiet and times of prayer. And we might be like the disciples, like, Jesus, isn't there more important things to do? Like, miracles, that's more important. Jesus, another sermon is more important. And Jesus would say, no, it's not. Sometimes the most important thing is to read yourself and get the rest, get the reflection, get time with your Father in heaven that you need. And then number four, seek counsel and aid. Sometimes professional, and most of the time, personal, your friendships, your family. See, anxiety can either be met in community or in isolation. It's why Moses had Aaron, why David had his mighty men, why Jesus had the 12, and why Paul on his journeys, he had friends, companions that went with him on his journeys as he was a missionary in the book of Acts. Today, right now, there is an ever-growing need to meet people in the midst of, of their isolation. And we are so plugged in, and yet we are so isolated. There's a Harvard study about it. The Harvard study showed that 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness, meaning feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or, or all the time. And it's even worse in the young adult population. 43% increase in loneliness since the pandemic. And 63% of people are experiencing significant symptoms of anxiety and depression more broadly. It's clear that many in our society are falling into isolation. And I think our calling as Christians is to extend the invitation of Jesus 
to join his community, the church. Jesus loved the church because Jesus loves people. And he viewed the church as his body here on earth, to do his work here on earth. The church isn't a building. It's people who embody Jesus in the real world. Jesus took on the pain and the worries of the world to free us from them. And he certainly knows what it feels like to be isolated and alone. In fact, he was never more alone than when he took on our sin for us. Think about this Good Friday text. It says in three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is saying this as he's dying. He's alone and he's, he's isolated. He's dying for our sin. Like, we can see Jesus' humanity here. He's got the full weight of humanity's sin on him. That's why we can say that he gets us. He understands it because he felt it. He went through it. He knows what it's like, too, to be abandoned by his friends who weren't there around the cross. And he feels it even isolated, abandoned from his Father in heaven. We can also learn something from Jesus in this moment. We can take solace in that. And we know that we can turn to God because he knows that when you feel abandoned, you can still be focused on God's will in your life. He's alone, but he knows it doesn't have to stay that way because he knows the ultimate plan. He knows about his death, but he's also aware of the power of resurrection that's going to come upon them. And so he responds to the anxiousness he feels, and he surrenders to the will of his father. The last words he says on the cross, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So often, our anxiousness is driven by pain, mental pain, relational pain, physical pain. Whether it's momentary or it's a a chronic thing that you go through. It can be a powerful force in your life. Perpetual worry and anxiousness presents us with a choice. We can continue to struggle on looking for solution after solution. Or we can gently and patiently remind ourselves that we have an identity in God. And that he did the hardest part by enduring the cross for us. And that he invites us to surrender to him. And the good news is because of the cross, God's grace never runs out. Like you can add up all the coins in your swear jar. And I know there's a lot. You can add up every mistake you ever made. And I know there's a lot. Every relationship you couldn't repair. You can add up all the extra baggage that you carry around and the shame that goes with that baggage you carry around. But God's grace in Jesus never runs out. And it's the same with you. It's the same with you. You can never run out of love. In fact, love is one of the resources that the more you invest it, the more you give it away, the more you're gonna end up having. For some reason, you give away more, 
and you still have more. It's because the same divine love that raised Jesus from the dead is daring to overflow in your life. It's a perfect love. The scripture says it's a perfect love that drives out fear. There might be a lot of things about religion that are confusing. But let the cross of Jesus not be one of them. It's all about divine love. As C.S. Lewis said, it cost God nothing to create everything in the world. Everything you see in the world, it cost God nothing. All he had to do was just say a word, and it was. But to win you back from death, it cost God his own blood. When you think of God and you think to the cross, and I want you to hear the one message that God wants you to know more than any other. It's Jesus saying to the world, I love you. I love you. Parents, I realize a message like this on worry or anxiety is going to be tougher for you. It's going to be tougher because so much of the worries in your life, so much of them like revolve around your kids. Your kid's future, how your kid's doing today. It's really hard. A year and a half ago, my son informed me, my oldest son informed me that college wasn't really his thing. And he wanted to go back to Austin to try to make it as a stand-up comedian which is every dad's dream. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed about it, I thought, you know, all the education in the world doesn't mean you're gonna have a good life. All the education in the world isn't going to mean you live a life of happiness or joy. And I know this message has got a lot of heavy stuff because we deal with a lot of heavy stuff. And the scriptures deal with a lot of heavy stuff. And so one thing my son reminds me is that one of the great anecdotes for the hard things we have in life is laughter. So in his honor, here's a joke about worry from the first comedian he and I saw in person, Jim Gaffigan. I won't do the voice, but I'll try to do it justice. Jim said on stage, I wish I was a dog. Dogs are always in a good mood. They're like, what is that? Throw up? I'll eat it. I don't care. I'm just happy to be here with you. Dogs are happy to be anywhere. You ever see a homeless guy with a dog? The dog's like, this isn't that bad. I'm always begging for food anyways. But we're more like cats, aren't we? But we can't even really be a cat because a cat could scratch itself on a stationary object and we'd be like, oh, that's so adorable. But if I scratch myself on a mannequin in the mall, they call security. 
There's an even funnier one on saunas, but you probably don't want to hear that one. All right, I'll tell it to you. <laughs> it's it kind of associated because, you know, saunas represent all the different ways that we try to find relaxation and rejuvenation and, you know, getting away from the stuff we're going through. So I think it kind of it kind of fits the topic for today. Uh, Jim Gaffigan also said this. He said, some people relax in a hot sauna and sure. Who doesn't love recreating the feeling of being trapped inside an active volcano? I don't understand the appeal of a sauna. Here's every experience I've had in a sauna. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my sweat going. It's going to be really good for me. Here we go. It's time to get out. I don't want to overdo it. What is so relaxing about sitting in a hot box next to a pile of smoldering rocks? I always look at the rocks like, whoever's cooking those rocks, they're already done. Put a wrap on the rock cooking. And to make the sauna more enjoyable, and this is when my teenage son cracked up. Okay, by the way, he, he cracked up. To make the sauna more enjoyable, you're always seated next to a naked 80-year-old guy. <laughs> oh, good. I get to sweat next to someone's grandpa who's only wearing a hand towel. And then he finishes by saying, the nudity in the sauna seems unnecessary. This isn't Rome. I just look around the sauna and say, wow, so this is why we wear clothes. And so again, I want to I thank my son for reminding me that laughter is a great medicine. And we're going to have worries and anxiety on life. And you're going to need each other. And church, your neighbors, your community, the world is going to need you. And I also want to thank God. Not just that Jesus knows what we're going through, but that he did something about it. So don't worry, friends. God is with you. God is for you. God loves you. And nothing in this world that you will face, and you will face plenty, none of it do you have to face alone. So be there for each other. Pray for each other. Let's not let people be isolated from each other. I love this final quote. This is from Charles Spurgeon. It says, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. We love you, Messiah. We're always praying for you. God bless you. Amen.